Okay. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> it's gonna be really emotional. There is no loss for being honest. The real work of life is the work that we do inside ourselves. The responsibility we feel towards the world, like questioning, challenging, say something. Raw and vulnerable and open conversation. That was the best part. I'm scared of the friendship. Taking a breath. Just talk. Shame and guilt. Vulnerabilities. <laughs> that was about to be What does it really mean to be friends? We trust the real work that we do is overcoming our insecurities every day and learning how to love more. It has examples of the change we want to see in the world. Just talk. taking a breath. So if we just take a breath. Well, my face is on fire from the doctors. <laughs> To have healthier relationships with women, they need healthier relationships with other men. The real work of life is the work that we do inside ourselves. So I'm in an open relationship with my husband, and my husband and I sold our house ten months ago. We have twins that are four years old, we travel around the world, and this is my boyfriend. Hi! <laughs> Perfect! Hi. Hi, welcome to Amory, where it's our intention to bring more love into this world, one vulnerable conversation at a time. I have to say, I loved recording this episode. The topic of parenting alone is, is huge. I mean, there are thousands, probably tens of thousands of books written on the topic, and none of us is given an instruction manual when we become a parent. So there's a lot of learning in that journey alone, not to mention adding another variable on top of that, which is practicing polyamory and parenting. There are, I understandably, people with so many questions about, you know, how do you do that? Now, I'm not going to say that our way is the right way. Um, no parent can say that. All I can say is we're really on a journey to parent by really through our values. And you'll hear um, really Marty get into that a lot more. We are on a journey to understand even ourselves through our parenting as we reflect back on the type of parenting that we all received when we were growing up. Uh, there's a moment towards the end of the episode where Kyle talks about uh, becoming even closer with, with my kids, which really warms my heart. And um, you'll hear Marty get a little spicy as well in this episode uh, because there are a lot, of, a lot of things that as we parent, um, things come up for us and we can see where we still have perhaps triggers or the way that we were treated when we were younger and um, how that relates to who, the, who we are today as parents. So whether or not you have kids, you're considering having kids, you are questioning how do you parent and um, while being polyamorous, we hope that some of the things that we share in here help make your journey of polyparenting a little bit easier. As always, thank you for listening. Enjoy the episode. Hi, welcome back to another episode of Amory. I'm super, super excited about this one because we get so many questions about parenting and raising our kids. So this episode is dedicated to poly parenting, or as I like to say, parenting in a new paradigm. Kind of works for the, it's cheesy. It's like, fine. That, was, that was like brand logo, slogan. Parenting in parenting a, new, in a paradigm. new paradigm. Thank ding, you. Ding, ding. I, you can count on me for teasing this. Uh, but no, I think it's so true because it, and, and it overlaps with, with what's happening with the quarantine, because I think everybody is being confronted with parenting, with parenting styles and people are with their kids 24 seven. People have to actually crazy. be parents. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Yeah. Yeah. I say we, that, I say that tongue-in-cheek and also very cruelly. And I think this is really an important factor for all of us. We come from three different sets of parenting styles, right? 
I have divorced parents, violent divorce, like estranged your divorced parents, Megan, mm -hmm. where I'm not going to talk shit about your parents anymore. I've done enough of that. Thank you. You can listen to previous episodes for that. <laughs> we know where you stand. Oh, Kyle's parents are, divorced, are not divorced or together. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to talk about your parents because they still don't know me. <laughs> so I think it's important. Our, our childhoods were different. Yeah. And right now, so we've been with basically with our kids almost 24 seven for a year plus because we've been traveling together for 15 months. So, yeah. Was well, is your format of parenting come from your parents? Is that what you're saying? No, I think it's important to know our background. And I sure. think it does definitely has an influence on it. Like I told yeah. my father, I'm like, I'm going to use the Pareto's law of 80, 20, 20% 20 of what you did. I agree with. 80% I will not fucking repeat. Right? What not to do. Right. How we learn from our, our parents, which is interesting because we'll record this and maybe someday, 20 years from now, when the kids are 24, because they're four years old right now, they're going to listen back to this and go, oh, we decided to do that or we decided to totally well, buck what you did and do something very different. It won't be relevant. And I explained this to my father. My father is a 75-year-old Indian man. I did not grow up in India in the time of like... Our best, our good friend who, who is an innovative doctor says in his speech, the time of medical information to, to double in 1950, while my dad was just like six years old, took 50 years. Now it takes 72 days. Wow. None of the things that are relevant, like very few of the things that were relevant on how to handle life for my father are relevant for me. Hmm, very true. Values, on the other hand are the things that I say are in the 20%. Like my dad is an incredibly authentic person and thrived on authenticity and built that into me so that I never had to wear a mask, mm. right? So like authentic to a fault, like only one face, right? When Anthony Bourdain died, I cried for like three days because I didn't know why. I was like, I, I loved him, but like, I liked him like a father figure. He was mm. a vo an authentic voice in the world lost. And I was like, that's why I love my father, is this mm. authenticity. Right. So I, I think value systems are really important. But a lot of the like maps of like, go get a job, go to school, get a job, find a wife, never get sick, live happily ever after, die in each other's arms. Like, fuck you. <laughs> right. Uh, all right. So. Exactly. I like your bend on values because we can speak from that right now for this episode. And, and really, I'm thinking for a lot of people, and especially those of you that asked questions when we sought out on Instagram, what questions do you have around polyamory and, and parenting? There were a lot of questions that I think led me to believe that there's still such a paradigm around monogamy, monogamy and parenting, because there's just such a lack of information around parenting in being polyamorous. So that for me stood out a lot because I think a lot of the questions were even framed with this understanding that when you get into a new relationship, the next person becomes a mother figure or a father figure. And that is a piece that I feel like is, it's almost irrelevant in the polyamorous structure. I think you said it really well when it's like, they bring in this divorce mindset, that mm -hmm. there's like a stepfather, stepmother kind of experience that happens, but it's not it. Mm -hmm. But I also want to say that we're very much talking about Western society of monogamy and not Eastern society of monogamy. Because in an Indian family, every fucking family member has a say. <laughs> Right. So it is already a village. Oh, right. So true, like my true. uncle has power and my aunt has power over mm -hmm. how my life goes, which they shouldn't. Right. In a lot of cases. But in that case, there are like a lot of people in the mix. Yeah. The, the phrase it takes a village is so true. And I think and we've talked about this a lot before, probably not on the podcast, 
but just the idea of this nuclear family, the, you're right, the Western mind, the very independent based is all about raising kids, just the two parents. And that it's so much pressure. It really is. And we don't have this, it takes a village concept and yeah, it's extremely different. So when you both were talking about opening the marriage was one of the conversations you had about kids and, and how you were going to, to work this openness around them and and was there well, I think there was that? more there's so much uncertainty in the beginning that that yes the kids are considered but the kids are considered from a safety standpoint mm-hmm. right the kids have to have stability in the sense of value systems people have to consider our kids if you're not going to if you're going to be a part of this you can't be like oh you don't have kids you can't ignore it right right yeah. and yeah. your values have to match the values of our children and what we want our children to value. If you were like super uber crazy Mormon evangelist, whatever, and we are atheists, you're not fitting in. I'm, I don't like religions like a cock. Don't whip it out in public. Don't shove it down my throat and don't expose it to my children. Like I don't have any ability for you to have that in my household. Oh, what's funny is I don't remember if we talked about that really specifically because the kids were two at that point. And they didn't, I think everything was just so situational, which is why I want to add the caveat is we'll share everything that we've experienced with polyamorous parenting, but it's only just our experience that I think that there are so many parents out there that are, you know, have teenagers or kids at different age, and then they're, they're becoming more open. So I think everybody is kind of working through this just within their own set of circumstances. For us, I think it was so nice to have kids that were two years old because they didn't understand anything beyond, oh, this is this person. So I remember Kyle, when we introduced you to AKA the kids. AKA Uncle Kyle. Yeah, Uncle Kyle. We decided Formerly put... known as. Formerly <laughs> known as. Formerly known as Uncle Kyle. We thought that that would be super cute because a lot of our close friends at that point were aunt and uncle or aunties and uncles. And I technically was a friend at first, yeah. but. And then we had a deep program that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That only happened recently. We were yeah. like, no, no more. No more yeah. uncle. That's no weird. uncle. It was That's hard for all of us to stop now. saying it. Yeah, it was. And then... <laughs> I think Marty, that was the hardest for you. You're like, I kept saying, like, Uncle Kyle. <laughs> and then the kids are correcting me. He's not an uncle. I'm like, okay, I got it. I know. So that I would definitely recommend not calling your partners or lovers yeah. early in the game, uncle or aunt. I think I'm guilty of this because of the Indian background. Yes, right? Like in Indian, yeah. everybody, everybody's your uncle and you don't, and everybody's your cousin and you have no idea who actually is <laughs> and who isn't. Right. I remember being so excited when, when we got to introduce you to the kids and the kids to you. I remember the day you came over. In fact, I think the photo that I just shared of the first the first photo of the three of us. I've shared it on Instagram stories. And I think it was that day where oh, we actually right. took a picture of all of us and you're we hanging out. And I'm like, oh, this is so cool. Kyle's hanging out with us. I want to add too that it became it was also easier for us given the fact that we had an au pair. Mm-hmm. We had a live-in nanny. Right. We had the space. We we had had thought about a Brazilian person because we want Portuguese in the life and all these things. And very much in our social style of household. We had roommates for a while before the kids mm-hmm. were there. Yeah, our, that was our, obvious. I yeah, it's like Grand Central Station. Yeah. The kids are used to a lot of people around. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And you guys had an openness about your family that there's not like this hard closed door between your family and, and other people. It was always a welcoming household. And I think I saw that right away and I didn't really translate that into, oh, this is going to be a great polyamorous uh, <laughs> structure household. But yeah, I, I noticed that. How and did I, it feel for you to meet the kids? Yeah, well, I actually was going a little bit farther back thinking about when I see our relationship 
evolved over time. It was like, we were having our alone time at first. And then I felt like you started to have this feeling like I have this world with you, Kyle, Mm -hmm. that's this bubble and it's really great, but I have this whole other world that you're not a part of. And I think I started to see you wanting that you Mm -hmm. wanted me to be a part of it. And I think I hadn't even imagined that far into the future. So I think to be honest, it was scary for me. It was because I didn't know I brought all the fears that I think the monogamous world puts on you, which is like, this is wrong. This is wrong for the kids. What's going to happen if you break up with Megan? All the things that I think I've heard, Mm -hmm. I brought with me those fears. Mm -hmm. So in many ways, I've I've gone through this and and learned that it's not bad. It wasn't bad. And we we took it step by step. And and the kids have been a big part of how we communicate, how we include them, how I've built a relationship with them over time. And I want to dovetail that in the step by step and actually the bubble being a good thing. Essentially, you vetted the relationship before you brought it to the kids, right? But once it was vetted, it was like, okay, Kyle became part of the friends of the household, just like everybody else, right? Right, And we kept the affection out to start, right? Yeah, Yeah, that was slow. We really took it easy with showing affection in front of the kids. In front of the kids, right? for sure. Yeah, and like even one of the rules I've had that I'm happy everybody else has followed is to always be honest with the kids. So everything that they ask, I tell the truth. Mm-hmm. And I answer to the capacity that they are interested and that they can understand. And then- That's a big one though, Marty. And I think a lot of families don't do that. And I, I was impressed by you too and how honest you are. Yeah, well, I was honest <laughs> with everything. Yeah. You know, like why I don't talk From to Santa Claus. Yeah, yeah, Santa Claus. The nanny, organized oh my religion. God. <laughs> my favorite thing was when I was sitting there with the second au pair that we had. And she was sitting at the table with me and Santa Claus came up and with the two kids are sitting there eating their lunch. I'm like, you know, Santa Claus isn't real, right? He's just a character, right? And I'm sorry if I burst any adults bubbles here. But like, <laughs> but like the nanny's face just dropped. She's like, how, oh, what? Like, oh my God, did you just ruin Christmas? I'm like, no, I didn't ruin Christmas because... We could tell them the truth about like I want them to know I bought the fucking presents, right? Like, and, I thought, and a friend of mine hit me on Instagram later. She was like, "What about awe and wonder?" I'm like, "Have you ever heard of space? Yeah, like nature. Yeah, right. There's a lot of awe and wonder out there without lying to them Bugs about a red pedophile. Like, I don't. I'm like not interested in this, and I hate Christmas. Like, it's the one holiday I have a ton of trauma around, and so like I. It took me a lot to buy a Christmas tree and to like put Christmas socks up or those stockings. Or fucking <laughs> Christmas socks. This <laughs> right. is how much Marty yeah, participates in Christmas. It. Yeah, it's, it's good because I don't like, driven. I don't really like Christmas is. either. So yeah. that's, that, this is Just, all right. I'll really buy is. gifts and obligate each other to nonsense for a holiday. And the worst part about it is my Indian family loves fucking Christmas. I'm like, you're not even Christian. Yeah. Like, and I think you use it as a as a guilting mechanism for good behavior. Like Santa yeah. Claus oh, is not yeah. gonna come if you don't behave. I, that's yeah. what I remember. As a but kid. just we've never done that. And I think that goes back to the values of our parenting is that we really try for transparency, even with two or three or four year olds. You build to, trust there, shockingly. Yeah, yeah. and, 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 and the they're not delusional. They're not delusional little kids. Like our kids excel in reality. Like so actually transplant that over with how we're relating to them around our relationship. We've never hid anything from them. You know, if anything, we took we took it easy on the showing of affection at the level that we, that honestly, that we could handle. Because I think two-year-olds wouldn't know the difference of, you know, me kissing Marty or me kissing you. Yeah, and I actually was going to add another point that I just thought of, which is things that you have done as parents very differently than most that I've seen. And if you can both talk to the whole 
the kids don't have to hug grandma oh, and grandpa yeah. or anyone without yeah yeah this is a really i will thank one of my friends too that had a daughter that was a little older she was probably three when when the twins were born and she was talking about how she doesn't she never made her daughter hug anyone she never forced physical contact on her daughter and it took me a second where i was like well that's weird why wouldn't this just a hug you know go hug your grandparents but then it occurred to me in the, in the way that she explained it is I want my daughter to have self-agency over her own body, that she doesn't have like to a, put it up against anyone else against her own it's will. A pedophile defense. Yeah. Like it's, it's brilliant. It, and it's gorgeous because then I then all of these memories started flooding back about how there were certain times where I didn't want to hug my grandpa and my parents made me. It's and also your it just, own sense of yeah, power. Yeah, it's like my own sense of power. And already from a young three, four, or five years old, this feeling of I don't have control over my body. Other people can tell me what to do with my You're body. And it, to do yeah, it. and it just totally rocked my world. So I'm so glad that the kids decide who they want to touch, who they don't want to touch. And and it goes to like our daughter has beautiful red hair. And we we were walking through Brazil and every old lady oh, yeah. puts her hands on my kid's head to the point where like we're starting to run like like football blocks. Right. <laughs> where I'm like yelling at old ladies, I'm like, don't touch her. Well, right. Where it's like they're like in their culture, it's okay. I'm like, no, but my daughter freaks the fuck out. Yeah. Like she loses her shit being touched. She doesn't want to be touched. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing. And to me, that's like great. Like I'm going to fucking defend you. I remember being yeah. in the grocery store where somebody went to touch her and I was like, Pew! you know, what is that wow. called? A bong sao. Yeah. Like Wing Chun bong sao. <laughs> <laughs> <Bongsao> that shit. <laughs> and then I tried to describe in my broken Portuguese that she doesn't like to be touched. And then she went to touch her again. I was like, oh, are you kidding me? Yeah. It's like personal space here. Well, it's yeah. so programmed, I think. Yeah. And, and like touching a pregnant woman. Yeah. You know, oh, sister talks that about. used to drive Marty crazy. Dude, Actually, I was yeah. I was okay with that. Personally, I'm like, ah, I'm fine with myself. Okay. But I grew up in a violent childhood. I live in the city of Chicago. You fucking touch me, and I'm gonna break your wrist. Like it's just <laughs> instinct, right? And then I'd be at the grocery store, and some lady I don't know comes up and touches your belly. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? I don't know you. Like I don't know you. Get your hands off my wife. Don't touch my fucking unborn children. Like I will fucking kill you, old lady. Like oh my I won't. God, that was but, very, like, that was very was possessive so, of you. Well, no, but it's it's protective. Protective. Yeah. Like it's 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 like how do you justify this? That you can just walk up and take people's space and you could just, you know, oh, I, but I, I maybe know. that's the difference of me being four or five years old, having to f be forced physical contact with people that I don't want to. But then my kids just don't allow it like it's there. It's that barrier that's being created. Yeah. So we we have, you know, I've had the the don't touch my kids conversation with every male in in, in the family. Right. And everybody that's near my kids. And it generally goes like, I will bury you like that goes starts off with. They solved 20% of the murders in Chicago, right? So I have a really good chance of getting away with this. And if I don't get away with it, right, I will run the fucking prison. So let's do this, right? Like, you don't touch my kids. Either way. Right? Just don't, like, either way. Like, I will gladly take my prison sentence. And, and I had to because, like, I felt I've never gotten violated sexually mm -hmm. as a child. I got, I got abused in other ways. And I, I have friends that, that have been abused sexually as children mm -hmm. and they are broken to this day in many ways that that take a long time to unwind and it happens fucking a lot yeah, and it's people it's... that are near you and like this is why the self-agency of body i loved it when your friend brought that to mm -hmm. us i love the openness that we can have these dialogues yep. it also then since we're not delusional with our children and lying to them 
we can tell them because we talk to them about body parts and mm-hmm. sexuality and all this stuff that they to the level they can understand it. That look, the people don't touch you here. Mm-hmm. I don't give a fuck if it's your uncle. I don't give a fuck. No one. Nobody. There's a lot of traumas I think that we're, we talk about now that are generational and that we want to end. Yeah. That, that you, us three, we want to see end in this lifetime. And yeah, I think that's a big one. And yeah. I, I think just seeing you guys do do that and parent around that value is really inspiring. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've to, learned a lot to that point. I, I feel like I'm the minority of being a woman, never having had experienced trauma, knock on wood, like that. And I feel so thankful and so grateful. And my heart goes out to anyone that had to go through it anything. It's so like sad that. that you're the minority. I, it really is. And it's it, really crazy. And I think like the generational trauma point and this this point is that if you're going to question polyamory and parenting, polyamory in this community and what I really enjoy about ethical polyamory Mm -hmm. built on honesty, transparency, trust, support, consent, consent, communication, communication. Mm -hmm. These are all big parts of value systems Mm -hmm. that then bleed over to how we want to raise our children. And and they bleed over into our behaviors, our everyday behaviors. I think we're modeling a future too. I said this before on one of our chats with Holy Poly Macaroni, our friends in Barcelona. We love you. We love you guys. It's awesome. So we, had, we, we talked about a Zoom poly chat where everybody has three people in the window, right? But <laughs> three, like, or three, four, three or more. Three or more. <laughs> but, uh, but one of the things is that, look, the future is the spectrum. Your mm-hmm. kids, like I, we stay with the other poly family, one of the children's non-binary and, mm-hmm. and, and identifying different gender-wise, like pansexual. Mm-hmm. These kids are already yeah. exposed to it. They're already understanding the spectrum. They're already more accepting. So for us to raise our kids in a binary system when their future is non-binary mm. is, is to ill prepare them for the future. They need to be prepared for the future. So instead of being like, you have to have your relationship this way, you have to have your gender this way. You have to traditionally allow people to touch you and kiss you and all these things. We break all those and stick with the value systems, mm-hmm. right? You can be who you are. This is honesty. This is transparency. Like if you are in the poly world, there is some argument if you follow under the LGBTQ, the queer, mm-hmm. right? Where some people say, no, you have to be also sexually like in the, in the homosexual or bisexual kind of world. But I'd argue that like we, we are different mm-hmm. and therefore we are raising our children and our family is different, but it's not bad different. In fact, it's got a lot of strengths that, mm-hmm. that standard monogamous couples don't have. Yeah. yeah and it's preparing for the future. It is. I think, yeah. uh, so the other question I was thinking about is when did you decide to talk to the kids? When did you feel that that was a good time? When they asked. Mm-hmm. I think we started normalizing love. So we started saying, yeah. I, when I realized that I was falling in love with you and that was happening, I think we started saying we love, you know, we just love people. And mommy loves Kyle. And as Marty's relationship with his partner deepened, daddy loves his partner, you know, by name. And we would just normalize love. And they didn't, I mean, for kids two, three years old, what, what else do you know? I mean, we're not, we're not explaining sex to them at this point. So it's just, it's well, what really do they love understand about love? Yeah. So this is a great example of what they understand about love. When the kids asked me about the, the first time they asked me is mommy sleeping in Kyle's room. I said, yeah, mommy loves Kyle. Oh yeah. If you love people, you sleep next to them. Yeah. And then they're like, can I watch a show? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they're like, done, right? Now, yeah. now. They're nearly five. I'm giving you guys the opportunity to really build a partnership like I would like mm-hmm. with my partner if she were here. And I have my own room. 
And after 15 fucking years, 20 years, nice to have my own fucking room, right? Like, I'm kind of taking advantage. I feel like I'm in a hotel. You made my bed this morning. I feel like fucking awesome. right? like, I change your sheets. Right? So, like, and so you're treating me like beyond. a sexy roommate. It's like I a am. new roll mill plate. I just leave my clothes on the floor. I don't give a fuck. It's great, right? And the kids, it works. The kids wake up in the morning, they crawl in the bed with me to cuddle. Mm-hmm. And there's no conversation about every night. Where's mommy? On Cal's room. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah. And then, like, you were in the room with me, you stayed over the night yeah. in your roommate's room, and they came in, and like, oh, mommy, oh, you're in mommy, this room. Hi. They're like, great. Yeah. And then they're like, more like, there's no room for them to cuddle. So, like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> right? Like, it's so. Yeah, things are normal. just so, so normal. And I think that with everybody, oh, I'm going to get on my pedestal here, my soapbox a little bit, because I get so pissed off at people saying, what about the kids? As in, it's it's a dangerous environment or that that they're, for some reason, that we're not considering them because I, I just get so upset thinking about would people be our people as concerned when monogamous relationships are, are unhealthy and the kids are at risk around something, you know, do people step in and say, Hey, what about the kids there? And from, from my perspective here, they are, the kids are surrounded by love. They are so supported and it feels so good that it just, it boggles my mind that people are even concerned. Amen, sister. It. Thank you. Soapbox. Soapbox. Here's here's, oh. here's to add to that. We all grew up. We grew up in divorced families. Yeah. I had oh stepdads God. and stepmoms and boyfriends of my moms, and never really good. My dad didn't bring anybody home until until my stepmom arrived, and and I had a, I was fifteen, encouraging my dad to date. They were all afraid, like to bring her back. And like, what's Marty gonna say? I'm like, about fucking time, right? Like, <laughs> I was already broken by that time. So like. I call it polyagony. Mm-hmm. It's all the divorced families where there is hate and they can't talk to each other. And I had to stop my parents from talking to each other because they weaponized me. So I just stopped them being able to say each other's name. My stepmom, my mom, could they, they don't talk. There's no relationship there. There's no support. There's fighting. Mm-hmm. There's resource hogging. There's all this other shit that's going on. Yeah. No one intervened in that. No one's like, what about Marty? Mm. No one's like, what about your kids? If you're in a divorced family, they just up, oh, they're going through a divorce, pity them. Right. But mm-hmm. 65 to 70% of you motherfuckers are going to go through a divorce. Mm-hmm. Right. So at the end of the day, we've just normalized divorce and we normalize polyagony, mm. but how dare we have more than one person in a relationship here and all of it be love and support. Yeah. And the way I, I see it too. And I think that there were some questions or maybe I I read some articles too, about what if people leave, you know, what if at some point people transition or relationship transitions? I think even the whole concept of polyamory is that it doesn't have to be this abrupt cutoff. Now, maybe in some people's situations it is, but I just can't picture that for us. And I think, I, I think we allow for the natural evolution of relationships. So if there are some people coming in and then going out, I feel like it would all be amicable anyway. It should be. It should be, and it can be. And isn't that, in a way, normalizing the evolution of relationships for the mm-hmm. kids? If, exactly. If, you know, it's which, role modeling yeah. how a relationship should end mm-hmm. ethically and without slinging arrows. With and without, respect. Yeah, because and that sometimes relationships do end and yeah. friendships end and... Are, I would say, yeah, they transition. Things. I yeah. think that they can transition into sure. different things. Like, well, some, yeah, because I don't, some end, but I, I, I don't know. I like the what, word transition. Why do a lot of relationships end? Infidelity. 
Mm-hmm. Right, but like breaking we, we yeah. talk about this all the time when you watch a romantic movie now and there's like a love triangle and it's breaking down, it's just like just be Polly. <laughs> just then the movie's fucking there's no need to change it. <laughs> a lot of songs will change or not not be good. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I do sorry, this is switching topics, but I want to talk about Kyle's role because I think we started talking about that in the beginning where most people that have this concept of divorced families or stepmother and stepfather think that Kyle came in and is a second dad. Kyle's not like they, they've got Marty as a dad. Kyle, you're Kyle to them and you've got a totally different role. So I would love for you to talk about your role in with our kids, with us, like how, how do you feel about that? And boundaries. Sure. Yeah. And I think I, I think it took me some time to find my role and and find my flow with the kids. And I think, you know, my my or I've been an uncle now, you know, I feel like I'm, you know, one of the top uncles around. <laughs> and, and I say uncle because that's that's easy, but I've been involved in my friends' kids' lives and, mm-hmm. and for a while now. And I think what I've all you know, and my my orientation of uncle comes from my uncles, my my mom's brothers and she comes from this Irish Catholic family. There were seven of them craziness, but my uncles would always be the ones that played with us. And they were like physically, you know, playing sports and throwing us around and wrestling. And to me, that was like this really awesome experience of an uncle, which Mm -hmm. is just like really involved physically having fun playing. And I think I really adopted that because Mm -hmm. I had so much fun as a kid with my uncles. And you see that, I think you see that with me. All the time. Uh, you it's actually... fun. It's really fun. And I think, yeah, I think I've become basically one of the kids in that realm. Yeah. Well, it's a relief for me because I'm very intellectual with my kids. And while I can be, I'm like one of the only dads in a playground that jumps in the monkey bars and plays with the kids. Like that's where I excel in a playground. I excel in a, in a game. I excel at teaching them Kung Fu. Right. But I don't climb trees. Right. <laughs> I, I grew up in a fucking condo. I don't have like, there are certain things that I I'm getting exposed to in my older age, like, like camping and shit like that. I've never done any of this shit. So there's a relief for me mm-hmm. that you have this role with them. And I, I don't feel like just like in, a, in the marriage construct, I can't be everything for mm-hmm. you, Megan. I can't be everything for my kids. Mm-hmm. There was also a time here and this is for, I think dads and moms with dads in particular, Polly or not, if you, have your kids at certain ages, you're going to excel at different things. I'm not good at arts and crafts. That wasn't brought to my life. I didn't have that exposure, but I'm really good at games. I'm really good at strategy. And now that the kids are doing puzzles and playing games, this is where I'm excelling, mm-hmm. right? Like I can't do arts and craft, but I had a ton of origami when I was little. So I've been like buying origami <laughs> kits and I'm like, this it's is what cute. I can add, yeah. right? And I feel like allow for the other person's talents and Kyle's influence has been really great. And we've talked about boundaries of like, even look, all kids need discipline. If the kids violate you, you can discipline. We don't hit. This is a general rule. We don't hit. We don't name call. And I like this type of shit, right? Like, you know, in an Indian family in my dad's age, any uncle could hit you. You know, it'd be like, you open your mouth and bam, you get hit from anybody. Yeah. Right. So like, my ancestors are Irish and Italian. Same yeah, thing. Yeah. So like, you know, that one comedian, like we have this in common. We beat our children. They're like the the end of the day, like we just have to have these value systems recognized. Yep. Right. We don't touch kids inappropriately. We all believe that. We're big fans of consent in our adult relationships. Mm-hmm. We don't weaponize the children. We don't do that. We yeah. don't, we don't let them be abusive. Right. We don't lie to them. We don't like, these are just some really good factors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
I've seen you bring more childlike play to the kids mm -hmm. than than we could ever bring. You getting just, dirty. Getting, getting dirty yeah. is one thing oh I God. think I've been teaching the kids. It's okay to get dirty. It's so cute. Splashing in puddles. You went out there in the rain and just yeah. walked out there. And Sebastian was like, I don't want to go out there. I'll get wet. And so he watched you. He and I both watched you for a minute. And then I was like, oh, that actually looks kind of fun. And so we both went out there and danced in the rain with you. But we, I wouldn't have done cool. that. And they wouldn't learn that from me. Yes. Walking out in the grass with no shoes on or no socks. So I don't do that either. Something hit me in Australia. My son is a lot like me, right? There's, I'll go, to, I'll go, yeah, I'll go to the ocean, I'll go to a pool, and I won't get in it because mm -hmm. I'm chilling, mm -hmm. right? Because I'm like, it's like work to get into this pool, right? Like I'm gonna get wet, and I'm gonna dry off, and like, but like if I go in the pool, I'm happy that I went in the pool. I need mm -hmm. like encouragement to yeah. get in the pool. So I realize my son's not going in this pool and is afraid of water because I'm not going in the pool. So I went in the pool. And that day I taught my kid, my son, because my daughter was already doing it, how to trust his floaties and swim a little bit. Mm -hmm. That was like, that was a huge breakthrough for me. But sometimes mm -hmm. I need that impetus, that that drive. Mm -hmm. And Kyle, you provide a lot of that. And I love that. Like Even for me to get out and take a fucking walk. Like, I'm like, oh, I would just cook all day. <laughs> yeah, what I bring to the kids, I bring to everyone. And I think yeah. that's the easy part for me is I'm being me and it's it's warm and welcomed in the family and yeah. i i can just bring that and you know everyone needs something a little bit different but yeah. it's uh, flow and it that's, all flows so. yeah and that's why i think our old paradigms of because you're a male coming into a relationship you're gonna play this father figure or because you're female you're gonna play a mother figure and i i think we actually need to throw that out the door and Not just say females are you're mothers. gonna yeah you're gonna be who you are just like you you are if you're a polyamorous and you're connecting and loving another individual that person, you bring something into that person's life. It's the same thing with kids. You're going to bring something else. And it doesn't, it just like forget the whole paradigm of coming in with a motherly or fatherly energy. You're going to be you. So I want to, I want to kind of bring these back. We're ranting a lot, which is fine because there's a lot to rant about, but I want to kind of bring these back to points. And like one of the points is that if you're, if you're monogamous and you're journeying into polyamory and you have a lot of questions about how this is, how you parent, you have to take away your old rule book or at least use mm -hmm. it for comparison. For one, you need to evolve your thinking about all things. If you think things are binary, they're not. They're a spectrum, mm -hmm. right? This is one of the beliefs right, that you have to challenge. If you think that everybody is a parent, that is another belief that you have mm -hmm. to break. If you think that the kids will be negatively affected by, by a group of loving people, why do you not think that that would happen? Why do you think the kids would be not negatively affected by a group of divorced people? Like you have to kind of question this. Another one of these big ones, and ladies, it's for you, is not all women want to be a mom, mm -hmm. right? I get a lot of respect. I've actually, my my technical company, when I first started by like year six, 85% of my client base were female-owned companies, right? I kept getting referred as like the, not, the tech guy that wasn't a misogynistic asshole, <laughs> right? Because there's like very few of us apparently. Mm -hmm. And and that's not any tech guy I hate. I'd be a fucking dick, right? But like at the end of the day, a lot of it was because I didn't subscribe labels. Like you have to be a mom or you have to to want kids or you have to do this. Not every woman in a relationship structure wants a kid. Mm -hmm. Right. So why would she even be considered the motherly role? She can bring in other energy and other roles, just like the males can. So if you're gonna if you're going to compare monogamy and polyamory and how you parent, you have to look at the underlying principles that monogamy may have that just don't hold water anyway. Mm. 
like stop telling your 30 year old daughter that why don't you have kids yet like maybe she mm. doesn't want them. maybe she's a lesbian yeah no this is a slightly different topic but hi megan here for a quick interruption to let you know that there were even more questions that we wanted to answer regarding poly parenting so you'll find those for our members at patreon.com backslash amory podcast and if you join at the ten dollar month level that's for exclusive content we answer the questions there for you and we have a two dollar month level that gets you the podcast ad free you might be interested just because morning morning uh, marty is going to do an ad right now <laughs> thanks for listening Something you just said triggered that. And I realized that I started getting over jealousy, not when we opened up our relationship, but when we had au pairs watch our kids because I was working full time then. And oh God, so any parent knows parenting is fucking challenging. It is one of the, I don't know, perhaps the most challenging thing in the world. Really? I kind of find I, it easy. Holy shit. <laughs> there, are, there are times where I'm like, this is fantastic. Oh my God, the kids are so adorable. And then literally a minute later, I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> this is the hardest thing ever. But so I remember when the kids were really young and I had to go back to work full time when they were three months old. And I remember that our au pair at that point was taking pictures of the kids and putting it on social media and like sharing, basically sharing with the world her love with the kids. And I was so jealous. I was so, so, so jealous because I went through that whole thing like, oh my God. And I, so this was not conscious. I didn't know why I was so upset. It took me a year or two to even get over it. You should have stopped being our nanny before yeah. you like forgave her. Yeah, and I know it was not her fault. She was the most loving woman. And honestly, if I'm really honest, she gave the kids more love at that time than I could have. Okay, she gave because, the kids, she's really good with infants and really good with babies. She gave the kids love. To, yeah. And you gave the kids love. Love is not a quantifiable, true, measurable true, true, true. thing. Thank you. Thank you for calling me out on that. But I think she gave them a type of love that I wasn't able to give at that point she in time. She gave them a kind of attention that you weren't able to give. You loved our kids indiscriminately and fully. She loved our kids indiscriminately and fully. She gave them attention because she's brilliant with fucking babies and infants. And and we're not. No. Right. Yeah. So it's so just thank, a type of attention. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. A type of attention. I will take that because I think for the longest time I was, and maybe even until now, is kind of beating myself up for not being able to provide the type of attention that I wanted to give them. I mean, granted, I will go through and say I was recovering from a C-section. Not easy. Full surgery, raising twins, waking up, and for any parent waking up during the middle of the light night, and we did not that getting, together. I'm yeah, working. we totally did, and I not did, getting I was there full the whole sleep. Time. I worked from home. <laughs> I took a two and a half month paternity leave. You did not do that alone. Incredible, Daddy. I did nothing alone. Really, I did nothing alone. And I think I'm so glad that one of my our, our friends at that time, or even before, had said something that you alluded to, Marty, is that we we may not be the best parent at at certain ages, you know, like you're finding you're coming into your own Marty with the kids being able to, you can communicate with them differently. And I know a lot, a lot of dads have said that it was hard to connect with their, their kids like really early on when they're little babies, because they can't, there's no kind of feedback loop there. And we didn't give birth to them, but there isn't this, this like physical connection. Mm -hmm. Like you have to build that connection. One of my clients said it to me, he's like, when you have kids, everybody tells you it's the most awe-inspiring thing. It's like, it's the most shocking thing. Mm -hmm. And then you may not have a connection right away with your kids. And that was so helpful because I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm terrified mostly. Right. Mm -hmm. And then conversely about the nanny. And let me jump in on this one. I came from a household where there wasn't much love. Mm -hmm. 
So the fact that our nanny was adding all this love was like, it's just additive. It was, yeah. For me, it was great. I'm like, these kids are like getting Megan's love or getting the nanny's love. I got love. Everybody's bringing all this love. This house was full of fucking love. This is great. I don't see the problem. For me though, I, that's when I started battling with my insecurities around being jealous because it was my insecurity that I wasn't good enough, that I wasn't the, I wasn't there for them because I was working during the day, but then I would be with them. And then at my patience level of being able to, you know, be with crying babies or just be with babies all day long. That's not me. That's not my skill set. That was very hard for me, but I'm so thankful. Now it took me a year or two to probably do to really appreciate everything she brought into their lives. And even to this day, she calls them my babies. You know, she's like, yeah. how are my babies doing? And if I, if I hadn't transformed and I know that that used to bother me and now I'm just like, oh, it's so sweet. And I love when we go back to Chicago, they get to hang out. But that was really my kind of my journey with jealousy started with the kids and not with not with Marty. And Marty, I need to thank you for something because I feel like I've healed in watching you be a dad in the way that you are a father with your kids. And I think one of the things that's come up for me, and this, this is the crazy part of polyamory, is just these crazy things come up from the past or, or traumas and, and things of that nature. And I think when you would yell at the kids, that would, that would trigger me because I think my house growing up had a lot of yelling, my dad specifically. And I think what I saw, and I, I will never forget this moment because it was in Chile, you know, you yelled at the kids, you were mad about something, they, they, were, they were misbehaving. But then I saw you go in the room and you, and you talked to them and you, yeah, you either apologized or you kind of leveled with them and you talked to them about why you got upset and you really level with them. And, and, and that for some reason, like struck a chord with me that, you know, I, I wished that I had that with my dad. I wished that, that I had, it had that experience because there was a lot of yelling and there wasn't any apologizing. There wasn't any leveling with, with the kids after that. And I think when I saw that it, for some reason, it really healed a big part of me that it doesn't have to be that way. Um, and that, I don't have to be that that father someday either. Well, thank you. Mm. I, I, that means a ton. And I think it comes from the same thing. I came from a household of yelling. Like, I want there to be resolutions. I can be wrong. My kids need to see that I can be wrong so that they can be wrong. And if you come from a household of yelling, typically you repeat that pattern. And I think that was almost like the fear maybe that released from me. And, and I would also follow that, that up by saying, you know, I believe my dad was doing the best he could and my dad and I have healed our relationship in uh, a big way in the recent years. But yeah, I learned a lot from you. I, 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 I appreciate that. And I, I would say that my parents did not do the best that they could. <laughs> I, I think they did try, but somewhat. But and my dad and I have talked about this. I'm like, you didn't do the best that you could. You did the best in some areas that you could. In some areas, you're dick. Right? <laughs> and I think based on, on what I should be doing repeating-wise, like uh, there's a trauma score from like 0 to 10. And if you're like a 6 or above, you're almost guaranteed to be a heroin addict. right? Like my trauma score is a 5. Right. And, so what and, you're talking and about a is... body keeps score is a really good book about this, but like, I should be a rageful, abusive, alcoholic, divorced, all of these things, right. That that's based on the score, based on statistics, but, I, but in this process of even becoming polyamory, I have faced a lot of the things like I quit drinking. I quit, I, like, these are the things I've interrupted the pattern. So when you say like healing generations of trauma, like your trauma is not an excuse for you to repeat it. Mm. Right? Mm -hmm. It is a responsibility for you to end it. Yeah. If yeah. we want a different world. Yeah. 
And I, and I've never been a believer that alcoholism is genetic. It's that environment that is repeated. And then that behavior is repeated. Yeah. I think your susceptibility to alcoholism is genetic. And I think that yeah, it's, can, a, it's a coping it's addictive type of thing. Addictive. Yeah. And I think, you know, this is where we have to change our belief system by changing our identity. Like I had to go through a point where I'm like, I am a non-drinker, mm. right? That was what helped me quit drinking alcohol was I have the behavior of a non-drinker. It's like becoming a vegetarian. I remember the very first time I called myself a vegetarian and people were like, they give you a different menu and they treat you with it. And I'm like, huh, I'm, I'm a fucking vegetarian. Now. I just said it. And now I am it. Right. Like, and I'm a non-drinker. And like now, you know, I go to a party or something like that. I'm like, oh, I don't drink. And they're like, oh, you know, what happened? Right? You know, <laughs> Maybe it's the same thing. I'm polyamorous. No, I, but I tell the truth. I say, like, I don't drink because I've come from a fucking family of alcoholics and I, I'm mm-hmm. stopping a generational thing. Did I have a problem? Probably during college, but when I quit, no, I really didn't have a problem. I wasn't drinking that much. I was just tired of it. I was fat and disgusted and didn't know why I was spending all my money this way. And I don't miss it. Mm-hmm. And maybe this isn't something that people talk about as much, but I feel like dad's di- discipline with yelling and, and I don't know how moms think about discipline, but I feel like that's a dynamic that we see a lot in households. And I feel like I've seen you look at yelling as something that you don't want to do and you've, you've done a lot of thinking and a lot of work on that still um, suck at it there i think the part of it is that men are allowed to emote in the anger spectrum that women are not mm-hmm. yep and that's yeah. just another societal rule that has to break is that women can yell and men <laughs> men need to cry yeah right and, yeah. and, and like you know we'd be a lot better off. my yeah. kids see me cry all yeah. the fucking time and, the and my kids saw me yell today when I got very yeah. frustrated, but then I told them that I was just frustrated, that I didn't do a good job taking care of myself, and that I calmed myself down. And they were so sweet. They're like, Mommy, do you need to go for a walk? Do you need to do something? And they were they were very sweet. And I, I apologized and I said, I'm sorry, you guys, that I that I got frustrated. You know it wasn't directed at you. And and I, I asked, Can you forgive me? And now what was missing in my ho- household was forgiveness. You know, somebody might have said, oh, I'm sorry, maybe at some point, because I also grew up in a household where my dad yelled and it was and it wasn't frequent, but I remember it very vividly. But I think the forgiveness part was the piece that I was missing. And I think for the kids, we tell the kids we're learning how to be parents, just like they're learning. And that's, that, I think that's that like, goes back to learning. that honesty <laughs> thing. And, and I've seen it be so powerful because you're being honest with the, the kids and they know, they already know when you are, when, when you aren't, they have that intuition, right? Kids have better intuition than, than any of us do. Um, they're not fucked up by layers of nonsense. Mm-hmm. Right. They're, they're pure in that way. And I think, yeah, I've seen you guys do a lot of things that I haven't seen anywhere else. And I certainly didn't experience in my, in my growing up, but how do you, how did you even come to, I'm going to apologize to a child? I think that's such a big this is the benefit of going into polyamory is it upgrades the entire operating system, mm. right? So it is the same things I want in adult relationships. I want to replicate in my children's relationship, consent, mm-hmm. owning your own, taking personal responsibility. I have to take personal responsibility for my actions and my behavior. They have to take personal responsibility for their actions and behavior. Like the, Honesty, transparency, all of these things are required. The other thing for me, I think uh, I drove the honesty thing, but I always drive it. I believe in radical honesty uh, because I think honesty hurts once and lying hurts the entire time that you're hiding. 
It hurts many yep. times. And I think that children have a much larger capacity to handle things. And I think when we have a trauma and then we hide it, it persists versus we have a trauma and then we, we work it out because we can put it out in, in, in the light and it doesn't sit in the shadows. So mm-hmm. for me, it is, I want to know what they're going through because then we can work on it. But if it's just all tucked under the rug, because right, we have to look good, I go back to my childhood. This is also another benefit of having the childhood I had. I, Megan, you struggled with this. My partner struggled with this. You have a tr- trouble looking bad, mm-hmm. right? You have to look good all the time. You're told to look good. Even the older women that I, when we were in Australia and our friend's mom was talking to me about her childhood, older women love to talk to me about this. Like, how did you open this relationship? They start telling me their, their history. They're supposed to look pretty and not say anything. They're supposed to mm-hmm. not make waves. They're not, never supposed to emote and yell. They like this, like they're supposed to keep their shit together. I had the benefit of never, ever looking good. I was the outcast. I was told I was a fuck up. Like I couldn't look good. So looking bad, totally easy. (laughs) (laughs) The default. The default is like we can air our dirty laundry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're trying to model because the first learning environment is the home. That's really where kids are learning implicitly. And I think we, we put so much attention on our school system as like, oh, we have to reform our school system or it's all about the education outside of the home. It's, I mean, it's not the, the first seven years are when the kids are really developing their own values. And the first seven years, the values that they're getting are what they see around them by their parental relationships or by the relationships of the adults that they're around. Modeled. It's modeled. It's what, you know, it's really do as <laughs> what they learn is they do what we do. They don't do what we say. So it really depends. And they do kids, how we be. They do how we be. <laughs> they, they, yeah, they be how, how we be. And sometimes I get a reflection back of my own behavior through them where I'm like, oh, Ooh, I gotta, I gotta work on that one. Like if your um, kids are a dick at school, it's your fault, not the teacher's fault, right? It's not the school environment's fault. It's your fault. Right? I've always thought about that with bullies because any bully is getting bullied at home. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Because they're doing what they, what, what it's is done, done to them. them. Yeah. yeah. I realized with Sebastian, I logic, I use logic all the time. And so, he and I say, you. he out logics me right now. He's like, yeah, if I do this, then then you got to do that. <laughs> if, or he, it's a, it's always let's make a deal, and I'm like, God, where does he get that? And then I start out every sentence. Okay, I'll make you a deal, yeah. and and I'm like, God, I'm manipulating, and then he's trying to manipulate back. So now kids are these beautiful reflections, and I, I we have the honor, and that's why parenting is this beautiful challenge. Is that we have we have the honor to learn from our kids. And I think what I'm hopeful is that 20 years from now, what we get reflected back or even sooner than that is that we see our kids having really great relationships, that they are responsible for themselves. They request what they need in relationships. They're respectful and they they desire respect. They seek consent. They seek consent. So we've dropped them in school in Brazil and Spain and Belgium. And they have and they've been in households with other families and everybody's like, oh, my God, your kids are so awesome to deal with. They're so respectful. They're so sweet. They're so this we're not, we're not doing like, we're not telling them anything other than this is how they're raised. Right. So these kids are, are aware. They're very self-aware. Our kids are very self-aware. When we go into school, we talk to them about the experience of school and what they have to do, what they can't do and how they have to be. And they do it. So if you send your kids to school to have your school raise the teachers, raise your student, your kids, that's fucking fucked up. 
Your teachers don't raise kids. They educate kids. Mm. You raise your kids. Yeah, which brings us full circle to now during these quarantine times and people are with their kids 24-7. And it's, it is the time to realize that the most important thing that we can do is just be how we be and you know that they learn through that, but also focus on the relationships because it's the through relating with each other that that is our that is our core education and then information will come in and out and you know that's we learn information later on in our life but i think everything's based on the relationship there's a few things that we get an added bonus of accelerated learning with our kids we are nomadic mm-hmm. been traveling for 15 months so half of their life almost right we have we get a lot of questions about that how do you you know how will you create stability for your children right? They need stability. They need stability. They need stability. First of all, the world is inherently unstable, Mm -hmm. right? And stability does not come from external validation or external places. Stability is an internal thing. Mm -hmm. We give them a very strong compass. We give them very clear self-awareness and then they can navigate anything, anywhere. So they adapt to new situations or adapt to new situations really, 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 really well, Mm -hmm. right? And I think, but it's about this travel and this- Maybe what what got you to think about that is I've always said stability is who you're with. It's not where we are in the world. It's the relationships. So if the relationships are stable, then there's this kind of a sense of stability all across the board. I was expecting the kids to be to think more about like, oh, I miss home or I miss this. And I haven't heard any of that. I mean, very little. Mm-hmm. They miss certain people. They miss, mm-hmm. you know, and they're excited about when they'll see them next. And mm-hmm. I think that's one thing I've I've noticed as well. There was, I mean, there's two things I was thinking about, you know, how you think about education. I like how you both think about teaching, yeah, teaching with the, going with the inspiration of learning. You said it better, curiosity-led education. That's what we do. We let their curiosity lead what we educate. Whatever they're curious about is what we go after. Mm-hmm. Right What's now. an example? Oh, in... Like, for instance, I have my... one actually. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, we were, they were eating honey toast the other morning. And Kira was like, How do we get honey? And I said, Oh, the, the honey's in the hive. She's like, Yeah, how do we get, how do we get it out of the hive? And I thought to myself, I'm like, I have no idea. I don't know. Let's watch a video. So we went on YouTube. We watched how they get the honey out of the hive. We learned it together. So I think there's something it's so incredible about saying, I don't know, or just letting their learning, their, letting their curiosity lead us. And then we just show them how to use the tools. That's right. really what so we're like doing. So we regulate what they can watch. We watch YouTube together because YouTube is accessible. So we pick what shows they can watch. And there's these doctor shows and there's things like that. that they, They're teaching us they, stuff yeah, now. They it's watch great. this one show, Wild Kratz, <laughs> on Netflix, which is a great show. Where, like, all of a sudden, Sebastian comes up to mommy. I imagine a four and a half year old goes, do you know what a symbiotic relationship is? And then he explained it to him. Right? Like, yeah. And everybody hears our kids and they're like, how the fuck? Is it like a four and a half year old has a better handling of life concepts and vocabulary than a lot of my adult friends. And it's because we let their curiosity lead it. And so they're like, they want to talk about space. Great. Daddy loves space. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about it. We want to talk I'm about medicine. totally into art. So I will, I will art and craft but, that shit for every day. When I was alone with <laughs> the kids. It. I gave you guys like five or six days or whatever. You guys are gone. And I was driving through the mountains in New Zealand here. And the kids are like in the back. Sebastian's like, daddy, 
tell me everything you know about the human body. <laughs> I'm like, it's going to be a very short conversation. Right? Like, I'm like, but our friends in Brazil are doctors and we can ask them everything you want and we can look up videos and anything you want. And then Kira's like, tell me everything about nature. I'm like, we'll get into some of this. Right. And, and so we just kind of pivot. And now they're really into numbers. So we're working on numbers and magnitude and we're working on writing and reading mm -hmm. and they're picking it up really fast. And where we have a hole in this, like, you know, I, I say this all the time, like, sorry, you mistaken me for Google, like search this shit. Like for instance, I'm phonically dyslexic. When I searched how to teach young kids to read, well, you teach with phonics first, mm -hmm. not drill-based reading. And you leave, I bought a kit for $90. We're using it. And the kids are fucking excelling at, at, picking up letters and, and learning how to read words. And this is fucking amazing. I'll add something in here that's more quarantine-based parenting versus polyparenting. And that's using, knowing your own limits as well as a parent. And maybe they're, you know, people are now tasked with educating their kids in a way that they haven't really been in, in the past. But for me, I kind of pick a time. Mornings have been working for me when my energy is a little bit up and then working with them on certain things and then not forcing because I think I got used to forcing things and I'm trying not to force kind of force feed information to our kids, but to pay attention to the little moments and then to really forgive myself and have compassion where I'm like, meh, I just don't have an enemy right now. Yep, it's not gonna happen. I'm gonna like, we're gonna watch a really cool show. Wild Kratz will educate them. Fantastic. Yeah. I'm totally cool with that. Yeah. And we, we find what like they got into, they really like Harry Potter. They don't fully understand it all, but I read it to them at night and we, we watch some of the movies together and, and it's, it's, you know, really driven by them. And I'm going to take that all like full circle all the way back to what do you tell your kids about polyamory? Whatever the fuck they ask you. Mm -hmm. Like if they ask you about your loving relationships, talk to them and be honest about it. Because if you role model breakdown, and how you go through it and how you sometimes suffer and what you don't know and what you're working on. And daddy's really sad because his partner is so far away and he loves her and blah, 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 blah. They, they empathize. Yeah. And on the reverse side, if you hide that, if you are shameful about your relationship, your children will pick up on that. They will think that there's something wrong. So the best thing that you could do is just normalize the behavior. You know, yeah, mommy loves so-and-so, daddy loves so-and-so, and start to normalize it. Like it's just, yep, yeah, sure, that's just how it is. And there's nothing wrong with it because I think it's our own kind of internal world that the kids really pick up on. And I think one of the things I noticed that you both made very clear to the kids was that this does not take away yeah. from anything of mommy and daddy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I talk to them a lot about like, look, mommy and daddy love raising you. We love all these things together. We love cooking together. We love all this stuff because it's not all about sex. Right. Our, our sexual relationship is evolving. Mm -hmm. Right. It's like we role play it out. Like we have less sex now. We do but we're more body aware and safe with each other mm -hmm. that we can have conversations about, you know, orgasms and different things that yeah. are changing. Like There's for me, I'm working on my own. Uh -huh. I'm like more deep into my, like wanting to work on my tantric thing. So I have a better orgasm, mm -hmm. right? So that I'm stronger for me. I, have, I, I think I, I want a full body male orgasm, right? There's something that we can work on edging. We can do all this other <laughs> stuff, but I have this opportunity to do that with you because we have, we can let the relationship evolve. Yeah. And my kids don't need That's to know any episode. of that shit. Yeah, no. right? they, uh -huh. they, they just know that I love you and I demonstrate that love for you and you will demonstrate your love for me and mm -hmm. then demonstrate love for him. And then I demonstrate love for my partner. And then what they're seeing is just a bunch of demonstrations of love. More mm -hmm. love. Yeah. yeah. You guys frequently say that you love each other in front of the kids. And yeah. it is really, and that's normal. 
Yeah, because really we need normal. to normalize mm-hmm. non-toxic masculinity and non-hyper masculinity. We need to normalize body awareness, your own sexuality, your own sexuality, mm-hmm. consent. Like sex education is fucked up in the United States, right? And probably probably everywhere else. It's not sex education. It's like Christian fundamentalism education. I don't know what the fuck it is, but it's sex like shaming. Sex yeah. shaming, right? Yeah, it's body like body shaming. Like seriously, there was there was a, a, a great movie about or the show on Netflix. Sex education is fucking amazing because there's some parts in there. It's like the kids have all these questions. They're like teenage kids know way the fuck Mm -hmm. more. Like when I was young and the Internet wasn't there and we first started to get the Internet and you downloaded porn, it took 10 minutes for that picture to show up and you just hoped she was pretty. Right? Like Now you can Google fucking anything. Right. Like these kids have access. We have to be honest or they're going to be ill prepared. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wrapping up, any final thoughts on on this? I know I will share my first final thought is that some people asked us about how do we, how do the kids deal with judgment from other people? And our kids don't go to school, so we haven't really had to deal with that. And I think when we do, we will pick a school that is a bit more progressive, that we will find. That's actually why we're still traveling around a bunch to really find the place that works for us. But we can't answer that one. And maybe there are, I know that there are parents that are poly parents out there who probably can't answer that. So there are a lot of people on Instagram. There are groups like Poly and Persefco we bring yeah. up occasionally and and who, who and our Holy Poly Macaroni uh, friends are writing parenting book and things like that about they're taking surveys on this for how how parents do this in the poly world as far as the school thing goes i was severely bullied right and in that case what i'm going to teach my kids is how to fucking fight right so wherever they go to school that if they don't like the way that we raise our kids and some some asshole bully tries to bully our children, I'll let them do what they we'll need to do. Now, wait, I'm not done. Themselves. I'm not done. Mm-hmm. I'm not done. I don't give a fuck what you're going to say right now. <laughs> like the, the other part of that is if some parents or the school puts pressure on us and comes at us, I'm going to show my kids how to defend themselves against authority like that. Mm. Mm-hmm. Because I'm not going to let the school bully me and I'm not going to let some other parent come over and dictate how I raise my children. Mm-hmm. Right. Especially when I'm not harming my children. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, if they don't like it because they're fundamental or they're monogamous, they have all this other shit going on. We will have an open dialogue mm-hmm. in front of my children and they will see my responses mm-hmm. and they will see another role modeling. Mm-hmm. And if we have to leave that school, we leave that school. And if they need to know why we left that school, they're going to know why we left that school because the world is hard. Mm-hmm. right and and people suck and i don't want my kids thinking it's all fucking rainbows and unicorns out there because it's not i want them to be prepared i don't want them to be over prepared where they're well worried about everything but i want it to be real mm-hmm. when harmony gets fucked up and somebody threatens your your way of being there are appropriate ways to handle that and running and hiding and leaving yeah. is not one of them yeah that makes sense so yeah. yeah, I'm gonna bring a little bit of aggression to this. You don't bully my kids, right? Like if you bully my kids, maybe I'll beat up your parents. I don't know. <laughs> Shaking my head. We've never yeah. had to face anything like that, and I doubt we do. But I definitely understand. I'm a pretty scary. Guy. I was gonna say I definitely understand your need to rely on that as a as a source of power for yourself. I don't I don't think it would come to that, but I do. But I've We're also seen Alabama, you. So yeah, we'll I've fine. seen you deal with things very directly and where I have avoided conflict and you obviously do not avoid conflict. You go straight at it. Uh, well, yeah, it just, we lived in a big city. I went to the park and people were asking me about like my kids 
like detailed information about my family. And I've literally looked at somebody and be like, I don't know you. Mm-hmm. Why are you asking me this question? Like, what, we, what are, can we like build a rapport first before you fucking stick a finger on my ass and check my temperature? Like, I'm not. <laughs> All right. I'm not. Marty's getting look, feisty. Look, I, but no, I, this is an important factor, right? Like, this is this is for all those parents out there that invade other parents' world. If there is no physical abuse and, and child abuse going on, if there's not sexual and physical abuse going on, and the person just lives differently than you because mm-hmm. they are Indian or Muslim or Chinese or or English, know <laughs> the fuck the English do not. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but like I, I, they're it's not your fucking problem. Mm-hmm. If they're gay, if they're all these things, like leave them the fuck alone. Mm, I get that. I get that. That's rooted in your experience. Yeah. So, Kyle, any closing thoughts? Yeah, I think you know, Megan, you and I had a conversation recently that I wanted to share, which I think is like a leveling up of our relationship, mm, and yeah. in, in the sense that you know, you want me to to take more steps in in building a relationship with your kids, and and going from I think I've been in this evolution from being the uncle to being something more and and really showing and expressing love to them. And I think that's something that, you know, you expressed to me, obviously you, you felt comfortable too. And, and I received it well in the way of, I want to build loving relationships with your kids and I want to communicate mm-hmm. with them on that level. And I, I don't totally know how to do it. And I think it's more of a feel thing of, mm-hmm. of like, when we feel it, we'll express it and it will, it will be authentic and real. And I think that's something that we've been talking more about is how to express love with them, how to build that, build that part of the relationship with them. Yeah. Thank you. And thank you for being open. I don't even know Marty just stepped out because this is the parenting episode. And of course the kids come to the door and I just let it go because it's just part of our world. So a couple of days ago, I just mentioned to Kyle that I feel like they're I see kind of both of you holding back, both my kids and you holding back of what I think is a natural expression of love. But what I'm identifying is that, Kyle, I would call you more perhaps submissive in relationships. You've been so respectful of them that you don't you kind of wait until they approach you. Mm-hmm. You don't you don't, you know, touch them. You kind of like wait until they pounce on you because you guys they like to play fight and they'll, they'll be all over you, but you kind of like let them lead that. But I think you also do that in the emotional way as well, mm-hmm. where my kids, I think, or our kids are waiting for you to, to lead the emotional part to say, right. I love you and to open up that, that dialogue. Well, I so think, I think they've kind of, you've, you've kind of been in this stalemate of, uh, I think as they grow older yeah. and there's more understanding that there'll be more conversations to be had. And then I think the other thing that you'll be, and I'm very confident in this, is a resource for them. Yeah. Yeah. When they can't talk to mommy and daddy about something, they have another trusting, yeah. loving person in their life that they can confide in. Yeah. And I didn't I have that. that. I love that. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't have that growing up. I couldn't mm-hmm. trust my uncles or my aunts or my anybody else. I couldn't trust my own parents. There was no trust. Mm. And that's the problem I think with the nuclear family is yeah. it's isolated. And if it breaks, what do you have? Yeah. There's nobody. And then there everybody to... hides it. Mm-hmm. Everybody yeah. hides the breakdown. You know, yeah. like I, 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 I'm sorry I'm so passionate in this episode, but like I have friends that I stopped talking to, especially after fucking Trump got elected and people showed their stupid flags. Like I I grew up with this one woman who like I was in fucking jail with her mom. Like we both got arrested. Not together, right? I got, <laughs> I got arrested for some nonsense, right? And I'm 15. 
And I walk into this, I'm in a fucking holding cell and I walk by, I'm like, oh, Mrs. Blah, blah, blah. She's like, party, blah, blah. She fucking <laughs> took off her ass. She punched a fucking cop. Like wow. they had a whole bunch of domestic craziness. And like, I talked to her, I'm like, about my childhood. And she's like, oh, it wasn't that bad. I'm like, like, what childhood did you have? Like, you almost ran away with your brother when you were little, like your younger brother, because your household wasn't safe. Like, she doesn't mm. just deny all of that. No. Because it's all meant to be hidden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? So no one knows how to deal with breakdown because mm-hmm. we all just fucking hide it. Mm-hmm. But I think that's the point of this podcast. Yeah. And the point of what we're doing is like real, real. Real, real. Like, people need to see vulnerability. They need to see breakdown. Then they also need to see resolution. And mm-hmm. they need to see support. And they need to see love. And you need to demonstrate all of these things. Whether you're in a monogamous relationship or a non-monogamous relationship, I think the distinction is in a polyamorous relationship, you have to do more work. Mm-hmm. And because you're doing more work and because the value system of an ethical non-monogamous relationship requires a strong value system, value system around truth and honesty and consent and support and love, that there are some benefits to poly that monogamy doesn't necessarily have, especially if it's traditional. Yeah. And so like if you're in a monogamous relationship and you want it to be better and you want to learn from poly, break some of the rules. You don't have to be poly, but build a value system and start demonstrating the change that you want to see in the world Mm -hmm. and start giving your kids like real world skills of breakdown and breakthrough and support mm-hmm. and love and how you break up with each other. If you are going to go through a fucking divorce without eating each other's fucking faces in front of your kids, like do it amicably. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's always, and, and I'm going to tie it to it's always the fucking infidelity and, and money, mm-hmm. right? Like fuck your money and your infidelity. Like just face it. You fucked other people. Move on. <laughs> And, and that's if, a wrap. And if anyone's <laughs> in my position, you know, coming into a marriage that's opening, I think there is no better way to learn about parenting than this way. Yeah. And yeah, it's been a great, a great experience. Mm. I appreciate you guys for that. No, we thank you. you. Yeah. And thank you for bringing everything to bring not only to my life, but our lives and, and the, the kids. Space. Yeah. And the kids lives. And thank you for being my partner and demonstrating like proper masculinity. Mm. Because yeah. I yeah. feel like my son is going to be a better man. Because he's not indoctrinated with hyper and toxic masculinity. And I've been healing that with you. Yeah. And I've been able to like uh, remove a lot of that shit that I grew up with. Yeah. Welcome. Mm. Honored to be a part of it. Thank you, guys. Yeah. We're and a good thanks. team. Yeah, we are. And you're a great mommy. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I you will. Never, you never gave our kids anything less than love. Thank you. The attention. We ebb and flow with that based on what we're good at. Yeah. And what we can handle. Thank you. I will let that Your love that is really, stand. really great, Megan. Thank you. I do. It's I love my kids so much. I do. And sometimes I can be hard on myself that I want to bring more to that. I want to be more for them. And uh, yeah, just having some compassion for myself. I'm, I'm a fucking good mom. Last comment. We've been p- playing the copying game. So Sebastian and Kira have been copying each other. And that's the, now when they copy me, I'll say shit like, my mommy's the best mommy in the world. <laughs> She's so beautiful. So yeah. I have them say it back to me and I'm like, damn, this is fun. Good. <laughs> Meanwhile, <laughs> when my daughter gets pissed off at my son for copying me, stop copying me and he doesn't, then I start copying him annoyingly uh, until he gets sad. And I'm like, see how this fucker feels? Yeah. It's called empathy <laughs> and consent. You do not have consent to copy her. Stop mm-hmm. copying her. Right? Yeah. This is like, this is where polyamory comes into play. And as you can you see, we can, we can keep going on and on and, and on. And we're building and materials we that answer more questions thoroughly in the exclusive content section of Patreon. 
because we can keep going on this. Yeah. So if you're if this conversation helped, triggered you, jarred you, you have more questions, we're building more materials on that to support you. And there's a lot of exclusive content in there. So I'm going to pitch it. We, we've got four levels. You can just support us and you get some ad-free podcasts if you're not interested in my voice ringing through in the middle of this podcast <laughs> at the front. You can get the next level of exclusive content behind the scenes, posts that we don't put on here, some love stories from other people. Then there's intimate content, which is our journals, which is really us putting our vulnerability yeah. way out there. It's great. And then there's an intimate connection where we, we're going to do some calls and things like that with a very few number of people. So yeah, consider it if you found this helpful. Thank you, guys. Thanks, guys. Thank you. You can find our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash Amory podcast. A link is in the show notes. Thanks again.